The Start On Demand. On demand. Coronavirus fears continue to escalate, including in northern Italy, where 16 million people are on lockdown, as that country has seen a huge spike in cases. So we'll head to northern Italy and speak with a resident there, and then we'll speak to the chair of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University and ask him, why shouldn't we be panicking? Women make history by calling not one but two NHL games on Sunday. We'll talk about the massive praise they received, but also some of the unfortunate criticism. And over the weekend, I went to an event where I ate crickets. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, March 9th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. All three in studio. Loren was on Friday at the uh, Women Build Speaker Series at RVC Convention Center. Joined us for a couple of hits, including to talk about how she had to put on a bra. I can't uh, believe I said that either. And that you're bringing it up again. I almost meant to say, you know oh, what? Let's pretend that didn't happen. Oh, it's hilarious. But Come on now. It was you funny. said it on the air? Oh, yeah. Well, we were talking about the idea I had done a couple of days from home last <laughs> week because my husband was on his call shift. And so I would the alarm would go off. And I'm already in my pajamas, and I'd walk downstairs to where I have the little mini radio booth set up, and I'd get to work. But I didn't change or get dressed, yeah. or I'd, I'd brush my teeth. But that meant I was in my lowest possible uniform. <laughs> so then Brett's like, "What are you wearing today? Did you show up uh, to PJs. the breakfast in your pajamas?" And I was like, "I did not, Brett. Sadly, I had to put on a bra." Okay. And then as it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, "Hmm." That's a lot of information for people to... Uh, yeah, but we all know what happens when women get home. Oh, yes. It's the first thing to go. It reminds me of when I was a kid. Before you knew about that as a teenager, when you were a kid and you had your mom put you in tights, like leotards underneath your dress, and you'd get home and just rip those things off. You're like, these are so constricting. Yeah. Like, I'm five, and I know that this is too much lycra. Like, get it off of me. I know how I feel about socks. I try and get them off yes. as quickly as possible. Some things are just confining. So I cannot... Imagine, McNabb, and uh, women out there who are looking forward to getting home. <laughs> I was funny because I, as I, uh, before we kick off the breakfast, some different women are coming in to celebrate International Women's Day. I heard you on the radio, and then they're telling their own stories. Like, one time I just took my car, my bra off in the parking lot. I took it off on the drive home. Nice. I took it off in the bathroom of the gas station, pulled over, and I was like, enough is enough. This thing's coming off. And I was like, okay, well, people can relate. People can relate. No Absolutely. question. People can relate. So that's, that's why I bring it up, because A, it's funny, and B, <laughs> come on, it's, it's true. You're Mackling. certainly not alone in any of it. Yeah, like when I get home, I, I, I put my comfy flannel pants on instantaneously, mm-hmm. so I, uh, I can't relate to what you go through, but I can sort of imagine. Mackling, you went skiing. Well, my kids went skiing. I watched. Oh, you didn't go skiing? No, you know what? I waited all out, and the chances of me having some sort of injury this morning far outweighed the pleasure I would have received from skiing on Friday. Although halfway through the day, I did contemplate going into the rental shop and throwing on a couple boards, but I just couldn't do it. Hmm. I just knew that there was a too big of a chance of me doing something stupid and ending up with a wrenched back, a sprained knee or something. What, and we just last, have so much going on. When's the last time you've skied? I haven't skied since about 2001, the top of the goat's eye at Sunshine 
Sunshine Village in uh, in Alberta. I've got one ski still stranded somewhere at the top of that run. I lost a ski on a Black Diamond run, and that's the last run I've done. That's ever. a good example of things. Like I, I have a list of stuff that I try to do annually so that I just can keep the skill going or at least to stay, say that I still do it. Mm-hmm. And downhill skiing now, I've missed two winters, and I don't want to go too long before it becomes a thing where you're worried about doing it. Like water skiing, I will force myself once a summer just to Good do it, you. just to be like, yep, still got it, even though I'm barely standing anymore. And then I, because you worry about the longer you go like a bike, if you don't hop on a bike regularly or get on those skis, mm. you just forget how to do it. Uh, do you think, I think skiing is just like riding a bike. I don't think you'd forget really how to do it. But anyway, I decided to not do it for my own personal safety. Where'd you go? Holiday Mountain. And it's like a time machine there. Where's uh, it? <laughs> it is in La Riviere and near Manitou in southern Manitoba. And if you were there 27 years ago, like my brother and I were last there, I texted him from there. There's no cell service in the actual valley there. Like I'm talking zero bars. So you have to get some Wi-Fi happening. But I sent a message to my brother. Hey, I'm at Holiday Mountain today. He goes, I was just there 27 years ago. (laughs) And I'm like, you're right, because it hasn't changed at all in 27 years, the last time that uh, my brother and... uh, my buddy Al and I all went out for a day of skiing. It's exactly the same, except they do have one of these magic carpets on the bunny hill. It's like a it's like a treadmill that takes you up a little ways up the hill versus those annoying is it was it called the T bar or the tow T-bar. rope? Oh. T bar, yeah. Yeah, those interesting little pieces of technology that were just a disaster. If you'd never been on skis before this, you just kind of jump on it. It's and it just takes you up the hill. It's it's like a it's like a magic carpet. The yeah. T bar I <laughs> I can't remember what it was called. I think it was up near the Riding Mountain area. I, th- I believe Agassi. it's closed now. Is it closed? Oh, Agassi. Agassi. Is it still open? No. It- oh, no. Okay. Closed for probably 25 years mm-hmm. now. Well, well, I would have been. Maybe 20? Yeah, because I think I would have gone like in 1999-ish. 99? <laughs> well, Russell, then. Oh, okay. Maybe it was Russell you went to. I can't remember. Yeah, well, they, had, they, had a, they had a T-bar on one side, and they had uh, a chairlift on the other, and I had never been downhill skiing, so the T-bar... I couldn't figure it out, so I would just, I would just hold it. I just grabbed onto mm-hmm. it and he- and let it drag me up the hill, as opposed to push me up the hill. And uh, even though the, the the staff were yelling at me, "Don't do that! Don't do that!" but I couldn't. I tried to let it push me up, and I couldn't figure it out. So. Yeah, Agassiz closed in two thousand. Just did a quick. Google search there. And there have been at least one, if not two, attempts to reopen it. But Parks Canada not interested in any way, shape, or form in having that uh, ski resort reopen. So, All right. So uh, if you have any skiing mishaps that you want to tell us about, 204-780-6868. Also, as we- <laughs> in a building where virtually everything is digitized. I we, just we did a double take on that, Brett. I, you warned me. Sorry. Right in the middle of you talking, I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah. The clock reads Five eleven. So <laughs> every other clock in the building has changed, but the main clock, the one we need, <laughs> still says five eleven, not six eleven. Thankfully, Mackling, your internal clock still works. Wasn't mine. Was Jackie's. Oh, three forty one. I get this tap on the shoulder. Shouldn't you be uh, up and gone by now? And because it didn't work on Friday, I turned off all my alarms and. Neglected to, to put them on <laughs> oh, last God. night before I went to bed, and normally I would freak out, and I just went, oh, yeah, I guess I should probably get up. Got up, got in the shower, and got here as quickly as I could. So time change, what time change? Just sleep in an hour? 
It's like the time change never happened. <laughs> uh, I do hate this day, though. I tried to get the kids to bed early because you knew they'd be tired this morning because it would really be 6 a.m., not 7, you know, when they're getting up. And I, they didn't want to fall asleep, and I didn't want to fall asleep. And the youngest is like, I don't go to bed when it's light out. I'm like, yes, you do, every summer. But this change is like, Ugh. Guess what? For about seven months of the year, you do go he, to bed when he, it's He was confounded out. by it. Just what is happening? New restrictions came into place yesterday morning after mass testing revealed more than 7,300 COVID-19 cases. Italy has more cases of the novel coronavirus than any country but China, which is currently seeing the virus retreat. Italy has seen 366 deaths as of Sunday. Here's a report from Global News with some more details on the dramatic policies now in effect. An eerie stillness settled over Italy's wealthy north on Sunday after the government effectively quarantined 16 million people in a bid to contain the rapidly growing coronavirus outbreak. The country is Europe's hardest hit and on Saturday reported that the number of cases had leapt by 1,200 in a 24-hour period its biggest daily increase since the epidemic began in Italy two weeks ago. In response, Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conti signed unprecedented restrictions into law overnight. He announced that people should now not enter or leave Lombardy, Italy's richest region including the financial centre Milan, as well as 14 provinces in four other regions including the cities of Venice, Modena and Parma, among others. All museums, gyms, cultural centres, ski resorts and swimming pools will be closed. And leave for health workers was cancelled as Italian hospitals sag under the pressure of the virus. Travel Canada has issued an advisory urging Canadians to, quote, avoid non-essential travel to northern Italy due to the spread of the virus. Davide Ortolan lives in Magliano Veneto in the province of Trevisio inside the quarantine zone. He is a student at the University of Padua in chemical engineering. Good morning, Davide. Good morning, everyone. We appreciate you taking some time with us from inside the quarantine zone. Uh, Where are you and how is this affecting you personally, Davide? Uh, uh, Well, personally, uh, when I received the notification of the quarantine, uh, I was home because the notification has been given on Saturday night, so I was was at home. But here it's not like, it's not bad, the situation. What does it mean for you? Does it mean you don't go to school or how does it work over the next few days? No, uh, the, all the activities related to school or the university have been suspended until April 3rd. So every class is given by online. Are you allowed to leave your home? Yeah, yeah, I'm allowed to, to leave the home and uh, uh, I can move also for work, but, but we need a, a certification that we can do by our own. And uh, but there are not there are not uh, a lot of controls. We can leave the home. Are people upset about this? Are people panicked about it, or are they just taking this in stride, Davide? Well, at first, I think that there was a little bit of confusion since it was not clear what uh, quarantine means. But uh, now the people are dividing in two. There are some people that think that the quarantine is good and it is uh, good at least to delay the virus and some other people that think that uh, uh, it is not necessary as it is a kind of discomfort. Here in Canada, Davide, I think we have just less 
less than 70 cases uh, nationwide. And so we're still waiting for sort of for that spread to potentially happen. But already we've seen Canadians go to different stores and stock up on sanitizer and toilet paper and all sorts of things. And we haven't really called this an outbreak in this country yet. Mm -hmm. Have you seen shortages like that? Like if you go to a grocery store, what are people buying the most of? And and what's sort of uh, being the number one thing that people are trying to buy in preparation for this to, to continue or get worse? Yeah, fortunately, up to now, there is not shortages of any food. But, uh, for example, uh, yesterday there were some supermarkets where there was a huge line of people waiting only to go inside um, to to buy some food, some stuff. And for sure, the only thing that it is really hard to find now are masks and hand sanitizers. Do you know anybody who has contracted the virus? No, no, actually no. But in uh, in the small town where I live, which is close to Venice, I know that there are uh, eight, uh, eight cases of uh, coronavirus, but uh, I don't know personally. Davide, for those that are unfamiliar with uh, Italy and the sort of the economic divide between the north and the south, and in particular the area around Milan, this is a critical area geographically in terms of economic output and what happens in uh, that part of your country. Yeah, I, I think that uh, now the, the north part of the country is uh, where the coronavirus is. Uh, uh, um, there, there is more the coronavirus, but I think that all the, the Italy need to be need to be uni- united now in order to, to fight this virus. Do you worry at all, Davide? Like when you see your country put in these kinds of restrictions and measures and, and basically putting the north on lockdown, is there any part of you that worried about what that says about this COVID-19 and coronavirus and, and its impact on your fellow citizens? Yeah, of course, it is a kind of strange situation because it's the first time that I live something like that. And uh, when I see the, the hospitals that are full of people, uh, that are waiting to be treated for the for the virus and med- doctors and nurses that are working 24 hours. It's kind of a strange situation, but I'm I'm not worried now because I know that everything could be solved if uh, everyone on us give uh, his little contribution. And only this way, I think that we can defeat the virus and come back to our normal lives. Davide, thank you so much for taking some time. Our best wishes to you, your family, your friends, and and hopefully this thank gets you. over with sooner than later. Okay, thank you to you. Davide Ortolan joining us live from Italy this morning. He lives in Mogliano Benito in the province of Treviso inside the quarantine zone in northern Italy. He is a student at the University of Padua in chemical engineering. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Kelly Moore is here, Jeff Fortier. Yesterday afternoon, McNabb texts us and says, so I had to go to Costco this afternoon in between what, uh, two of my son's four birthday parties they had to attend. <laughs> oh, that on, it, on its own is a conversation worth having. But uh, so <laughs> when you said you had to go to Costco on a Sunday afternoon, I just thought, Oh, you poor thing. Well, here's the disclaimer. Does anyone really have to go there? Like you say that you, we use these phrases like it's a must do. But my husband had today off and he said, don't worry about going to Costco. I'll go Monday. And I was like, no, I've got to, these two birthday parties. I've got to kill some time. I might as well accomplish something. And the parking lot's never a good indicator of Costco of how busy it's going to be. It can it can be slammed in that parking lot and just okay inside. It can be not busy in the parking lot and and busy inside. So I, I pull in. I'm like, this is, doesn't look any worse than any normal day I've stopped here. But then I got inside, 
And the lineup to get out of the store with people with their carts had backed up all the way to the washroom. So there was a lineup of people waiting just to exit. <laughs> just to get, have their receipts checked. Just to have their receipts yeah. checked. So I get in there and I'm thinking, like, what's going on? Is there some sort of special deal? No, it's just another normal day beyond a real run on toilet paper. <laughs> but as you're in there, you think, why do we do this to ourselves, and what do I need so badly that couldn't wait for another day? I so you hated it in there. You obviously made a U-turn and went right no, no, back of out. Of course, right? I resisted. Like I, again, <laughs> I had I had no I had nothing else to do. I had to I had to wait to pick up my kid. So I either go sleep in the car, which I thought about. I was like, maybe I could just go watch a Netflix show in the car, like park creepily outside this party and just sit here for two hours, or oh, I finish what I'm doing. That would be so McNabb of you to do that. Yes, yeah. but but I. I do not know what is so important for any of us to have to put ourselves through that. I I, hated it. Sometimes it's the only time of day or week people can go, I guess. But doesn't it feel like you get to some of these places and it's like nobody is working or nobody has anything else to do? Like you can go there on a Wednesday and it can be like that. I feel like Tuesdays are the best days to go. Are you just making that up? No. Why (laughs) Tuesdays? Some weird senior discount you get. If you talk to the people who work at Costco, they'll tell you Tuesday afternoon, early evenings, not bad. I was going to ask for statistics. Okay. Well, that's close enough. Early afternoon, that's interesting. Yeah, because my dad always goes right at 10 a.m. and he says the parking lot's always full. He goes to the one on region. McNabb, you're the yeah. one in Keniston, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah, he, but so maybe that's it. The, the key is to go uh, mid-afternoon or whatever, because I always notice if I go grocery shopping right after work, so if I leave here at 10, 30, 11 o'clock, doesn't matter which grocery store, packed full of retirees, just jam-packed. Well, Tuesday's usually Seniors Day. Okay. Yeah, yeah, so. Like, what, you get a deal? Yeah, yeah 10%, like 10% off, off, I think, yeah. Okay. Oh. So are there? Th- so I like going though. When don't try to disguise yourself to look like a senior. McNabb. If it's it just seniors work. in there, it's awesome because you can zip around real fast <laughs> around people. <laughs> oh, and it's, my goodness! Yeah, but it better got, than when there's kids in it. It got us talking this morning because do you have rules for different places you go? Like Brett, you were saying. If you have to drive certain places in the city, you it really depends on the time. If I go see my dad, who lives in Transcona, if I go visit him after work, I either have to leave his home to return to my home by 2.30 because I have to drive through downtown to get to Osborne Village, or I'll just hunker down until 6 o'clock because I'm not going to put up with rush hour. It's just, it, it's so aggravating Like to you're me. talking about during the week or on the weekends D- here? During the week. The, yeah. the weekend doesn't matter. Right. Uh, but during the week, yeah, I will avoid, I avoid rush hour like the plague. No matter what I'm doing, I do not venture out into rush hour if I can avoid it. I think more of us should do that and plan our trips a little bit more accordingly. 90 cent or 93 cent a liter gas is probably not going to lead to any more planning of our days. I think uh, Mm -hmm. at that price, we just kind of go whenever we need to go. But Kelly, you value your time. I know you do. Do I went to Costco Saturday and Sunday. Oh, Oh, no. You don't value your time that much. (laughs) What did you need so badly that you had to go twice? That rotisserie chicken, that good? No, it wasn't. It it doesn't doesn't bother me. No, we'd gone on Saturday, and we had forgotten to pick up some pictures that, you know, and I didn't need to go. But when my wife says, oh, you know, like our grandson, we wanted to hang his picture up by the uh, two granddaughters. And we'd forgotten. So there was a couple things that I could pick up. I don't see big lineups do not bother me 
at all. Because I visit, I meet with with people I've never met before. I have a good time. That's why I avoid the big lineups because there's some guy like Kelly yeah. wants to talk to me. And it was like, get well, a little weirdo. Me. I don't want to meet and make a new friend in line. No, if they if they write if they give you the signal that they don't want to talk, that's fine. So I get on my phone and get caught up on emails or whatever. But the lineups go quickly. They do not last that long. That is true. They're pretty yeah. efficient. They, they there. Look They've got it down to the science. But, yeah, but it's not that bad at all. And I like part of what you say. Like if I going by myself, I get frustrated in line. But if I'm out with my girlfriend and we're running errands, I always say, "Hey, let's go to Costco because I don't have a card. I can't get in there anyways." And I find it fascinating. And then if there's a big line, I don't care because I can just stand and chat with Kim while we're in line. Oh, that's kind of that romantic. Kind of rom- that was oddly cute. <laughs> wow, I'm thrown now. So you will Cheap actually talk too. with somebody, and I'll get her to buy me stuff. What? <laughs> you, you will actually. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm, yes. I'm a little concerned. You are, please don't like the, you're not dating her for the Costco card. I no, want to no, no, no. clear that no, no, up. No, 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 for the gifts. Are you sure? <laughs> Are we sure? We're sure. Okay, yeah, I think, well, I think that th- th- for me the thing is, yeah, when you do have to stand in line, it's not the end of the world. I remember going to the Superstore and Grant at Keniston on a Sunday afternoon. Oh. It was like 3.30, and I think I waited in line for like 10 minutes, which is no big deal. Kluche was stuck in that line as well. But I, I remember saying, never again, because... That that was the one time I went on a Sunday. I used to go like in the evening when there is zero lineup. So now I just plan my grocery trips when I know no matter what store I'm going to, it's going to be quiet-ish. So I think that's why I get frustrated because I think to myself, I could have gone when it was quiet. I chose to go when it was busy, and now I'm just frustrated. See, I feel lucky because where I live, I have everything around me, and by the time I get off work, like it's not very busy. I'm in and out of the grocery store within like I don't know, fifteen minutes. Well, you're you're you get off work at one o'clock. You're yeah. you're in the in what as Kelly described as the the, the best time, the golden the time, sweet, the, the golden sweet time. spot. No rush hour. I never have to drive anywhere uh, past like two. So just I, think, Forte, in fifty years when you become a senior, you'll be perfectly settled. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and you two will just be smiling in line. I've started to wonder if the Costco Kirkland products have the stuff that like Doritos have on them, like that cheese that the science has proved that makes you keep coming back for more because it, it just all of it defies logic. It's like, I have to go back there for that one item. I need that pumpkin pie, that gigantic Kirkland (laughs) pumpkin pie. What's in it that's so good? We switch gears now as the number of coronavirus cases in Canada has climbed to 67 with cases in Quebec, Ontario, B.C., as well as Alberta. And while Manitoba still hasn't seen its first case, we know that tests are ongoing here and we know officials everywhere are preparing for the possibility of this virus to spread and for the number of cases to rise. Dr. Gerald Evans is the chair for the Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University. He's also the director of Infection Prevention and Control at Kingston Health Sciences Centre. And he joins us now. Good morning, Dr. Evans. Uh, Good morning. So we know China was the first to put its country, parts of its country, under major quarantine. And then this past weekend, Italy effectively put northern Italy in lockdown, millions under quarantine. When we see measures like that, we can't help but think that that could happen here. As we track this virus in Canada, is that a very real possibility to see those kinds of quarantines in this country? Um, I guess the question is really at that scale. Uh, There's no question, I think, that there are going to be uh, quarantines happening as this uh, virus continues to transmit. Um, So it's certainly a tool that uh, my public health colleagues have 
uh, in their toolbox to use. And I wouldn't be surprised at all to see some significant quarantines going. Whether that would be a city of a million people or not is a is a more difficult question to answer. But uh, certainly, uh, as things progress, that's a possibility. You've mentioned in previous interviews this idea of not panicking in the face of this. We just had a conversation about a half hour ago with a young man, university student in northern Italy, who's quarantined and uh, is doing his courses online. In the face of measures like that and that happening in other places, Dr. Evans, how is it possible to for us to stay calm when we see this happening? Well, I, I think that what people need to be really aware of is the fact that although these measures ex- appear to be extreme, we know that in some jurisdictions, like in South Korea and in Singapore, they've been extraordinarily effective at reducing the transmission of this virus within the population, the community. If we could emulate what they've done in those two jurisdictions, uh, we will effectively be able to contain uh, most of the, the transmission of the virus within our country. So they sound extreme, but they're measures which actually ultimately um, are going to protect the public. And really, the public's mostly concerned about their own health, obviously about bad outcomes. And so I would still say not to panic, but just recognize that uh, all of us uh, who are involved in this are really taking it extraordinarily seriously. And we're doing the very best we can to try and make sure that we control transmission and prevent people from becoming ill. And obviously, the big issue of preventing them from becoming severely ill and perhaps If I fall ill, if I start to feel under the weather, at what point should I look into whether or not the symptoms I'm showing are COVID-19 related? Yeah, so that's the tricky part, of course, because we still have respiratory viruses circulating in the community. I think right now in Canada, and certainly in Manitoba, where you commented there are no uh, cases at the moment, I think most people who have a, um, a viral respiratory tract infection should not be worrying. However, if you've recently returned from any travel anywhere in the world, and if you've been in contact with someone um, for a prolonged period of time who has recently returned from travel, that should get your uh, concerns raised. And then usually what we recommend is that you speak to your own healthcare provider to get some advice. Don't go to the their office or their clinic at that time. And if necessary, they'll refer you to public health who will organize um, an assessment and a potential um, you know, testing to see if that's what you have. So uh, I think that's where we, we are at the moment is just telling people to kind of watch out for some of the trigger points. And by the way, that international travel, I would say right now, probably includes the United States. Not Don't go to the United States. That would be the recommendation or just to consider consider it when you're making your plans? I, I think uh, you need to sort of consider it. The Americans have not, in my view, uh, really got a good handle on this particular disease. And they have now emergency uh, declarations in a number of states, California, Florida, Washington State. And so that tells me that there may be a lot more community transmission going on there. I'm not telling people not to go to the states in essence, but I am telling them that if they've returned from the United States and they are ill, that they need to consider that um, as a potential um, issue around COVID-19 and therefore sort of seek some advice first over the phone to their own provider or public health in order to get an assessment done and testing. We were commenting this morning as well as in the States, because of the lack of universal health care, people might not go get tested for COVID-19 because of costs or might not take themselves to the doctor. And so you run a risk of spread there for that reason as well, doctor. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, the states is unfortunately a, a trifecta. The other issue is that they did not have a good test initially, um, and so they may have been missing cases with the original testing they were doing. And secondly, as I think you, your um, listeners have probably heard, the Americans have just not scaled up their testing. So even if people had access to medical care in the states, the number of tests that were available to test people was actually fairly poor. We here in Canada are much, much further ahead of them, and we've had a much better test right from day one. So, um, you know, not going to get care, not having uh, access to testing, and then originally at least a test that was not uh, as uh, good as some of the other testing that was available um, around the world, I really think has put the United States in a very difficult circumstance. Just 30 seconds before we go, one of the things I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around, and we've commented about this prior, is that lots of people compare this to the flu and talk about, you know, people get the flu every year and thousands die of the flu in Canada every year. And so we have to keep, you know, keeping that in contact. But we've never seen measures like this before uh, when it comes to quarantines or countries shutting down or travel advisories for all sorts of different places. And so how do you talk to the person and make them see it rationally when you compare this to the flu and what the differences might be, Dr. Evans? Well, the, the, the two big differences are, one is that the world population is susceptible to this virus, whereas influenza, a significant percentage of the population at any given time is, is uh, immune to whatever circulating strains of influenza are, are uh, wandering around. So that's number one. But the second one is that we still don't have a good handle on the case fatality rate. But even with a best case scenario, this disease looks like it has a case fatality rate that's significantly higher than the seasonal influenza. So that those are the two main reasons why I explain to people this is not quite the same as influenza. Dr. Gerald Evans is the chair for the Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University and Direction of Infection Prevention and Control at Kingston Health Sciences Center. Dr. Evans, thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated, sir. Thank you for having me. Following up on an event we told you about Friday at 9.30, we had Love Local Manitoba and the founder of the event, Peter Fair, and Sean from Bones and Marrow Broth Company. And uh, Peter invited me and uh, a co-worker, Kristen Moran, who works in promotions, and she does some on-air stuff over at Power 97. So we ventured over to Victoria Inn on the weekend. Why a handful... Mm-hmm. Versus just a couple mm-hmm. or, or one. one, just one bread. Because it was a table. They were served like you could just. They had a tablespoon in the the disp- in the tray. So I just took a tablespoon, put it in my hand, and popped it down the hatch. How big are they? A cricket? Yeah. I don't know. Like I guess the the length would be like a if you put it on top of a loony, it would sit across a loony. So that's, that's a mouthful of crickets then. Isn't yeah. It? That's right. And uh, Kristen went first. She was just as brave as me. She she went first and tried the salt and vinegar flavor, and I tried the smoky barbecue. It was from a courtesy of Prairie Cricket Farms. I made the mistake because I went up and said, hey, are you the guy we talked to on CJOB? But that's from Crick Nutrition. That's Alex from Crick Nutrition. Right. This was Prairie Cricket Farms. I got to tell you, man, it, it was just it tasted like any other salty snack. It was fine. It was good even. I enjoyed it. I wanted more. Mm. Peanut with legs. And then they also they also had like a pastry, like a peanut butter kind of sort of fudge sort of thing that had cricket powder in it and you wouldn't you would never know if you were to have it so if you want to see the video i mean it looks gross but it was not gross and they're good for you yeah and more than anything this highlights how different our lives are i have to go to costco in between 19 birthday parties for kids and you get to go out and have some fun and sample all kinds of local food beer wine 
Yeah, it was it was a wonderful event. We've talked about it for mm-hmm. years on this radio station, but I've never been, so I'm so glad I got to go. Did they have that uh, cocktail cart? Remember last year we were all excited about that? The, the, out of the horse trailer. There was cocktails, though. It, at the very least, did they have cocktails? Maybe that's oh, the most had, important there question. There were cocktails, wine, beer. But yes, they had that sort of, uh, I can't remember the, the name of the... The company, but yeah, it was like this uh, this sort of roving bar that you can rent, and then they'll come to your event and serve out of it. It's essentially like a wagon, so it looks really cool. Mm-hmm. If you want more information, go to lovelocalmb.com. <laughs> Something historic happened in the NHL yesterday, not once, but twice. Yeah, behind the camera and the control room, directing the show and on air, there was... One major theme for anyone tuning into the game between the Calgary Flames and Vegas Golden Knights last night on Sportsnet, an all-female broadcast crew in celebration of International Women's Day. Just a little wide, and here comes the Flames the other way. Lucic sends it ahead to Backlund. Backlund works his way in inside the line. Sends it across. Here's Dubé. Dubé shoots and scores! I love that call. I thought she did a great job there. The voice you, of course, hearing there is CJOB's uh, voice of our hockey analyst, but also Manitoba's own Leah Hextall. She did the play-by-play along cat side Cassie Campbell. Pas- is it Pascal or Pascal? Pascal. Pascal. We had this debate this morning. So Cassie, of course, has been doing game analysis for the NHL for years, but this was a first NHL game for Hextall, who has previously done play-by-play for the NCAA and the MJHL. And there were a ton of positive comments and reactions from people right across the country. We were talking about all the things we saw on social media last night. Bruce on Twitter, he wrote, Leah Hextall is a breath of fresh air in her play-by-play. She has earned her dues. While Tracy said Leah and Cassie seem like they've been working together, calling NHL games for years, not missing a beat, this crew needs to continue on a regular basis. But there were also comments made through social media about this game, about their voices. Not what they were saying, but their voices. Like Rob, who said, sorry, just being honest, it was so annoying to listen to. Or John's tweet, maybe find some good women announcers without those annoying voices. So as I was saying, I have no problem with viewers not liking their work. I've watched a lot of NHL games and at different sports over the years and thought, I don't like that analysis or I don't like that play-by-play because I don't like what they're saying. Sometimes there's a bias. A lot of those guys have bias towards certain teams. Always the Leafs, it feels like. But, you know, you just never want to, you don't want to hear it. So it's what they're saying is bugging me. I've never once thought, oh, I don't like that guy's voice because it's this or that. It's, it's what they're saying. But this thing with being annoyed by voices, I had to ask why. Since the dawn of radio and television, we have been conditioned to hear a man's voice. And when it's not a man's voice, a lower voice. And I know many women broadcasters who have been told their voice is too high or too shrill or too valley girl. I know some who have been told to try a lower tone. I've had conversations with colleagues about the idea that feedback from both listeners and viewers, and yes, sometimes bosses, seems to center around the idea that you might be more palatable if your voice is lower. And so my question on that one is that when people are saying that, do they mean that woman then needs to sound more like a man? And do you get the reverse on the man side as broadcasters with someone saying they don't like your voice, it's annoying because it's too high or soft or anything like that? Is, is there still a bigger gender thing at play here? There certainly could be, but I expressed to you last night that uh, 30 years ago when I expressed interest in going into this line of work, I sought out the advice of one of the more famous sportscasters in our community and he suggested to me that I might want to look elsewhere, first of all, because there weren't at the time a ton of jobs in in broadcasting and in particular sports broadcasting, but he said, you don't have the prototypical radio voice. 
And at 17, I guess it's kind of tough to figure out whether or not your voice is going to get deeper or not. But Brett, I imagine at a very early age, you had a certain timber and a certain tone in your voice that might have indicated to other people that maybe this is something you should be thinking about. Teachers have been telling me since junior high that I should be considering a career in broadcasting. Mm -hmm. I never gave it any serious thought because I was just too shy and never thought, why would anybody want to listen to me? But eventually I re- came to realize, you know what? I don't have any other skills or talents. Oh, come on so, now. Uh, but I do have a deep voice, so I'm going to go into radio. <laughs> and it turns out, uh, here I sit. Mm-hmm. But I, I I have to admit, Loren, and I'm going to fall on the sword here because I feel kind of guilty as charged. You know, take our colleague Marnie Blunt for example, at, over at Global. Uh, many have said, oh, she sounds great, but I'm wondering, do I think she sounds great because she has a deeper voice? Well, I wonder if it's what we're conditioned to is my idea. Yeah. Because it has been decades of that sound and lower, the lower you go. And and so that is a comment people get a lot. And I, and I kind of wonder if the same might go in different professions. And, you know, in a boardroom, are you commanding more attention if you have this lower timber to your voice male or females, would the same go at any another office job on a construction site? And, and I'm, I'm curious if it's because what you're used to hearing in an authority sense has that lower tone, and that's still the hurdle we need to, to climb or cross or jump over, is getting rid of the idea that it has to sound a certain way. Yeah. Uh, well, I think that was the word that was jumping into my head when you were talking that way in relation to other forms of communication or other areas the boardroom in particular, is it authoritative? Because when you think back to the way we are brought up, right? Wait till your father gets home. And there was something mm. intimidating about the idea of your dad coming home and he was going to really lay down the law. So I don't know. You could be right, Loren. It could be the fact that that's just the way we've been conditioned, that there's an associative uh, sense that the deeper the voice, the more in charge someone might be. Yeah, and I know that over the years here at 680 CJOB, if we get feedback on our colleagues on text or on email or over the phone, when it has to do with our women colleagues, sometimes it has been about the tone or the sound of the voice or the shrill laugh or whatever. Because, McNabb, you asked me yesterday, do you guys ever deal with that? And I said, you know what, when people have criticisms about us or other male colleagues, typically it's along the lines of, ah, you suck. Mm-hmm. Hey, you suck, McBain. But it's never, you sound like a, you sound like a turd or anything like that. It's, right. right. So, and again, no issue with people. You're not going to like everyone you listen to or you watch. That's, that's the bigger point here is I wonder because of so many times over the years, my kids watched the game with me last night and until I pointed out to them that there were two women doing the broadcast and it was such a I was teary listening to it they had no clue they were just watching another hockey game because that's great they're they're not used to something yet whereas that whole audience that was tuning in and and listening and having to maybe adjust their ear a bit was because they're used to hearing a certain timber I like I loved what I heard of it. I, uh, Leah Hextall uh, is tremendous at what she does, and all th- her knowledge of the game is just astonishing. Whenever she speaks, whenever she comes on with us, I yeah, I always just get excited because it's like it's like you, firing a starting gun and just watching her run. And uh, so getting to see her, listen to her do this at the highest stage in the National Hockey League, I was uh, felt really great for her. And I thought she did a great job. And some of the little anecdotes that she was tossing in as well, I think, also added 
added an extra layer because she was bringing a female perspective to something that is typically a male-dominated genre. So I really enjoyed that part of it. Leah was there based on her ability, but also her knowledge. She's paid her dues when she was at Nesson in Boston covering all sports in that part of the United States. Keith McCullough and I, once upon a time when we hosted the Sunday morning hockey show, we had anybody at our disposal that we could have on to talk Boston Bruins hockey. And quite often we would go to Leah and if she wasn't available, that's when we would reach out to other people, not because of our geographic connection with her or personal connection with her, but because she was so good at telling a story and sharing with us what was going on in that market. Days after the city of Winnipeg delivered its budget, the province will share its fiscal blueprint for the coming year. So the provincial budget is coming down Wednesday. We've already seen some of the things that are going to be in it, like that cut to the PST and the $25 per ton carbon tax. But we also know further changes are coming to rural health care. There's an education review underway. And we've learned in the last week that the welfare system in this province could also be up for a revamp with Brian Pallister sending a mandate letter to all departments last week. And in the one to the families minister, Premier Brian Pallister wrote that he wanted to transition the program from, quote, a benefit that encourages dependency on government to one that provides a short-term bridge to meaningful employment. But what does that even mean? Are changes necessary? How could that work? Well, Josh Brandon is a community organizer with the Social Planning Council and is in studio with us now. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Lauren. Let's just start with some of the numbers first. How many Manitobans are on welfare? Well, there's about 72,000 Manitobans on welfare, and that's a little over 40,000 cases, so different households there. When you heard his words this week, what what was your reaction for the the idea that he said too many people are leaning on the system, basically? Well, you know, most people that I know that that rely on social assistance, on EIA, they uh, really depend on the system, but they do want to get into employment if they had the opportunities. So, I mean, not to say that there shouldn't be reforms to the system, but the tone of that letter was concerning because it suggests that there's too many Manitobans that are just looking for a free ride, that uh, civil servants aren't working hard enough to to do their jobs to find uh, resources for people. I think that uh, what we need to do is to have government lead by providing the resources necessary to make sure that everybody has those opportunities. What does that look like, Josh, to get people, uh, you know, that want to transition to to employment or more full employment? What, what would that look like in your mind? Well, a lot of people need the training. They need more education. And some of those programs have been cut in recent years, like the access program that gets people into training and education. Uh, we also hear a lot from people on social assistance that uh, they're afraid to take that first job because they're going to lose health benefits. They'll start to have their wages, uh, their their benefits cut back severely. Seventy percent of your first uh, of the of your first paychecks get cut back off of your uh, off your welfare reduction. So I've heard people tell me, "Oh, I can only work one day a week, or I'll lose all these benefits." And that's scary for people. So if we had a better transition program for people, that would help as well. Is it a system where, is it a welfare issue or is it a living wage issue? Because there's also the perception out there that um, we, you know, as a society has made it easier to stay on social assistance because you can't make enough 
initially when you get off. And so why would you want to go to work for 40 hours a week? That's a common thing you hear. If you're going to get a paycheck, that would be about the same in, in the long scheme. Is that a fair analysis or, or is that just the way people feel about it? You know, it, it, it is partly true. You know, eleven sixty-five an hour, that's a poverty wage here in, in Manitoba and really needs to be at least $15 an hour to get people out of poverty so that working is a real route out of poverty and to a better standard of living for people. So if we did that, that would give people more of an incentive and, and give people more encouragement to, uh, to get off of social assistance. Is there any consultation going on with groups like yours to to have that discussion about what does a, a healthy transition look like? What would be beneficial for those on income assistance to trans to transition the way the government might like to see things happen? You know, there's been very little of that consultation, unfortunately. I think there needs to be a, a much more open conversation. There was a poverty reduction strategy that was implemented uh, a couple of years ago, and it had very few of the recommendations in it that groups like mine were were putting forward. At the end of the day, you mentioned the 40,000 cases that we have, right? And then there's children in that component. So sure. if you're a single mom who's on social assistance, hoping to get off to find a job, but now you've got to have a job, have it replace that assistance you got, plus find daycare potentially. So there's a whole other part of the system there too, because these are families that are largely would be on social assistance. Yeah, uh, I, about a third of the cases are families, about a third are disability cases, and about a third are uh, are general assistance, broadly speaking. You, know, you can break out on the numbers different ways. But uh, those families, you know, childcare is a huge priority. We've a wait list of over 17,000 people. And, you know, any of you talk to your neighbors about trying to find uh, childcare, it's just so hard. And if you're doing that at the same time as you're looking for your first job, well, that's going to be a real big barrier for people. Josh Brandon with the Social Planning Council joining us live on 680 CJOB ahead of the budget, which is coming this week from the province. Thank you so much for your time, Josh. We Thanks so much. The cost of gas on the way down, 93.9 at uh, the Shell. I think she said, was it Route 90 in Logan? Uh, but then Loren, you spotted on uh, GasBuddy.com and other such websites that uh, their cheaper gas is popping up all over the city. Yeah, you're seeing it around 93, 94 cents uh, a Shell on Pemina. There's an Esso that also has gas around those prices. Costco, of course, sitting around 94 cents. And so the gas has plummeted in part. Well, there's a couple reasons. People are talking this morning. We're watching the, what's happening on the stock markets as the stock's Markets open in the States and in Toronto, and they're tanking. Gas prices, oil prices are way down. And then there's a whole situation going on, Greg, between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Saudi Arabia basically saying it's going to do its part to uh, increase, uh, open the tap, so to speak, which will then deflate prices, putting more oil on the market. That's right. And we've seen West Texas intermediate crude fall by just about $10 per barrel since yesterday. Uh, Brent crude is down by over $10 a barrel. So we're in around $30 US for a barrel of oil. And uh, one of the questions that I think has to be asked, is this sustainable for the Canadian oil industry? Can they sustain production with oil prices that low? We know that Canadian oil is already already been selling at a discount as compared to the rest of the world and as comparative to the world price. So that's uh, some of the questions that we're working to answer for you today. Is this a really a good news, bad news scenario? Might be good news at the pumps, but is that just a short-term situation?
situation and what does it mean for the Canadian economy long term? What could it mean for the Canadian dollar? We're a petrodollar. Some people will refer to our dollar in that fashion. And the lower oil prices go, typically our dollar follows suit. Interesting to see the, the price of gas fall so quickly if mm-hmm. it's related to that, because usually what happens is if the price of oil goes up, then the price of gas immediately will go up. But if the price of oil goes down, we often lament the fact that the price of gas does not seem to fall suit, or it takes like a week, takes two weeks before they finally say, all right, we'll uh, drop the price. Yeah, I think we're working to find out whether it's been the slow decline that was happening the last two mm-hmm. weeks in terms of oil prices. I suspect that what we're seeing this morning is not tied to what we've seen over the weekend and that perhaps, and that's a perhaps, a question we're asking and need to get answered, will we see an even more dramatic decrease in price at the pumps? It's a catch-22 you find yourself in as a driver or anyone, if you need gas for anything because you love it when the prices fall and you probably rarely stop unless you're working in that industry to think about the fact that, well, they're falling because oil prices are tanking and the impact on the economy and the impact on jobs. Your first thought is, woohoo, I'm saving, you know, seven cents on the leader. Right. Long term, there's other ramifications on the other side that I don't know if we're always pausing to think about because we were such immediate reactionary people. You want to have that cheaper price. Well, let me tell you this. In Alberta, they are not celebrating this morning. A gasoline could be free today. They would not be celebrating in Alberta. We just had a listener text to say Alberta's budget was based on $58 a barrel, so they'll hurt even more, right? You, you budget for certain prices and certain amounts of cash coming in, just like any household, and when that price changes, you're hurting. And that budget is maybe 10 days old in well, Alberta. Let us know what you think, 204-780-6868. You can also weigh in on coronavirus and the various changes that are happening throughout our planet and... At 7.07, Loren, we had a conversation with uh, Gerald Evans, who is the chair of Division of Infectious Diseases at Queen's University and Medical Director of Infection Prevention and Control at Kingston Health Sciences Centre. Yeah, we were talking to him because we were talking about the number of cases that are slowly on the rise in Canada. 67 cases in Canada to date, none in Manitoba that we know of so far. Testing continues here. And we know there's been all sorts of travel advisories to China. Uh, Italy's been added to the list as it puts northern Italy on lockdown. And then he said something to us when we were questioned about, he said, I would also add on your list of places to consider to avoid travel to right now, the United States. The Americans have not, in my view, uh, really got a good handle on this particular disease. And they have now emergency uh, declarations in a number of states, California, Florida, Washington State. And so that tells me that there may be a lot more community transmission going on there. I'm not telling people not to go to the states in essence, but I am telling them that if they've returned from the United States and they are ill, that they need to consider that um, as a potential um, issue around COVID-19 and therefore sort of seek some advice first over the phone to their own provider or public health in order to get an assessment done and testing. We were commenting this morning as well in the States, because of the lack of universal health care, people might not go get tested for COVID-19 because of costs or might not take themselves to the doctor. And so you run a risk of spread there for that reason as well, doctor. Absolutely. So, I mean, the states is unfortunately a a trifecta. The other issue is that they did not have a good test initially, um, and so they may have been missing cases with the original testing they were doing. And secondly, as I think your um, listeners have probably heard, the Americans have just not scaled up their testing. So even if people had access to medical care in the states, the number of tests that were available to test people was actually fairly poor. We here in Canada are much, much further ahead of them, and we've had a much better test right from 
day one. So, um, you know, not going to get care, not having uh, access to testing, and then originally at least a test that was not uh, as uh, good as some of the other testing that was available um, around the world, I really think has put the United States in a very difficult circumstance. Also a text message here at 204-780-6868 from David who says, I've heard if you think you have symptoms of COVID-19, you should avoid hospitals. How sick does one need to be to require hospitalization? Well, we asked Dr. Evans about what should you do if you if you get sick and you're curious, are my symptoms COVID-19 related? And he said you should call your physician and then they will direct you if they think you need to get tested. They could, they will set you up with uh, public health rather than going to see your physician. Just call them first and have a conversation about it. So even getting yourself checked out requires a couple of, of levels of sort of uh, having to jump through a couple of hoops. Well, I don't like to go to the doctor's office at the best of time uh, for that very reason. Hospitals also, it's like, you know, unless you need to go there, don't go there. Because if you aren't sick when you go in, you, you might be when you come out. And that's not a panic thing. That's just a, a personal feeling of mine based on what I know about hospitals. And, and I mean, let's face it, that's the epicenter of the whether it's the flu or this outbreak that's why I like what South Korea has done I think it's absolutely brilliant what they've done they've set up these drive-through clinics in parking lots at shopping centers and elsewhere where people can line up in their vehicles so they're sequestered from the rest of the public to a great extent and then they pull up and someone in a in a suit that's all covered up, will assess you for the coronavirus mm. and the COVID-19 virus versus having you line up next to somebody else who might be sick when you're not or might be more ill than you are. I think it's brilliant. And I hope Canadian officials are looking at that model as an effective way to get more people tested so people can rest assured, A, that they don't have it, or if they do have it, they can take appropriate measures and haven't infected a whole bunch of people that mm. don't have it by going to get assessed at a medical facility, whether it's a hospital, an emergency room, an urgent care center, or just your doctor's office. And to circle back to the idea about avoiding travel to the States, he he just mentioned that they haven't done testing really well there. There were some failures with the system they were using in the beginning. And then we asked the question, okay, so we're keep, we keep getting told that you know, like the flu, you have to be prepared for these kinds of things. But the one thing he said struck out to me is, is the idea that the flu has about a point... 1% mortality rate, and this COVID-19 is 2 to 3%, in some cases 4 depending on the country. And then another thing that he added is mortality depends on your access to health care. So uh, if you're in the United States and you don't have access to that health care system, that's going to be another part of the problem there. And so we at least have the good fortune of knowing you can go and be treated as opposed to just avoiding the hospital at all. And I know we've got to get out here, but just to tie it back to South Korea, the mortality rate based on how many people have been tested and tested positive is closer to 0.6%. So that's why I'm really looking closely at what they're doing in South Korea as maybe being the benchmark for how to deal with this. More people tested, and then we could get a real handle of how serious this mortality rate is uh, with regard to this virus. Text at 204-780-6868. I am supposed to be heading to Anaheim at the end of the month. Airlines will not refund flights unless there is a travel ban to that area. Here is your trivia question. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. Roughly 30% of couples argue about this at least once a month. What is it? 
I don't know. You can't. Don't give the answers. But do you have a, a guess there, like Greg? Not or yet. Thirty answers. So many things, so many things worth arguing about. <laughs> Lorenz got an Uzi cartridge just waiting to be fired across the bow. I can fight with you about anything. Let's go. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's see what, if Richard knows the answer. Hey, Richard, what do you think? Toilet seat. The toilet seat. That is a great guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, that's not the answer. Especially oh, wow. at night. Are you that guy? Oh, I let Richard Oh, we go. let him go. Sorry. sorry. Yeah, I wanted sorry. to know if at night he's that guy where fault. you lights are off and you crawl and it's cold and all of a sudden you're like, come on. Well, apparently the lottery house for the St. B uh, Mega Million Choices lottery, the toilet has a light inside it. Correct. So, and it's heated too. So, <gasps> Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. My luxury. It's about right. a $2,000 toilet seat. Okay. Let's try Lonnie at 204-780-6868. Hey, Lonnie. Hi, sorry, I missed the question only because I shut my radio off. Oh, no, you have nothing to apologize for, Lonnie. The question is, it doesn't matter how long you've been married. Roughly 30% of couples argue about this at least once a month. What is it? Um, Picking up clothes? No, that's a good guess, but no, that's not it. That's 30 times a month in my house. Yeah, I would, yeah, that's probably, I would argue that's a little bit higher. John, what do you think? Um, I think this might be higher, but, uh, what's where the toilet paper goes on the toilet paper? Ah, over under. Yeah. That's not the answer, but that's a classic debate. Mm, What do you mean? All right. Well, like if you, if you do the waterfall, like, so the toilet paper, it comes down for over the top, or if you put it so that it comes from the back. That bugs people? Oh God. Yeah. Really? You've never had this debate in your house? Really? Which way do you do it? (laughs) Waterfall for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's the way to go. Like I'm an idiot. Waterfall for sure, you idiot. <laughs> you don't want the toilet paper touching the wall and the dispenser. And Great the... guess, John, but that's not the answer. I'm sorry, buddy. Hey, Deb, what do you think? How about taking out the trash? No, that's not it. I'm sorry, Deb. Uh, we're, we're running out of time here. Let's see if we can get an answer before 857. Adam, do you know what it is? Uh. Spending money on certain things? I'm sure that is a classic argument, probably more often than not. Let's try Mike at 204-780-6868. Do you know what it is, Mike? Uh, How about parenting uh, issues, how to raise the kids? No, I'm sorry. Good guess, though. Great great guesses this morning. This is just classic. Oh, Lorena, I think she she thinks she knows what it is. Oh, I've got got one that makes me mad. I don't know if it's what everybody else argues about. Let's try Arlene. Hey, Arlene, what is it? Uh, sealing the covers off the bed. No, I'm sorry. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. Roughly 30% of couples argue about this at least once a month. What is it? Trish, do you know the answer? Uh, finances. No, not finances. I'm sorry, Trish. Let's try John. Hey, bills. John, do you know the answer? The bills. The bills. No, I'm sorry. That's not it. Okay, we're, we almost are out of time. And do you know the answer? Is it the toilet seat up? No, we already had that one. I'm sorry, Ann. That is not the answer. We'll have to press pause on this and see if we can get a winner off the air. And the question was, it doesn't matter how long you've been married. Roughly 30% of couples argue about this at least once a month. What is it? Did you guys know the answer? Were you able to figure it out? No, but I thought it was going to be... 
<laughs> Probably no one fights about this. Socks left on the ground. You mention how you come home and you take your socks yep. off right away. Yep. I just find socks all over the place, and it makes me insane. Well, one of our one of the listeners did guess about clothes being left on the ground. Okay. Because like, when in my so with when I was engaged back in 2012, 2013, I used to, <laughs> I used to, and I won't refer to her by name, but I used to just I, I used to add the word hurricane in front of her name or tornado because it was like a tornado had just torn through the home and, and left a trail of clothes and bags and all kinds of crap. Like it was nice and tidy, and mm-hmm. then as soon as she gets home, crap everywhere. So I it, can relate to that. It is a double standard because I will be the first to leave a trail of clothes, but then I find that sock underneath the couch, and I'm like. Come on! <laughs> so it's totally unfair. Like, I, I get it. I appreciate the honesty yes. on that. Yes. Well, some of the, so we took the calls off the air because we couldn't find a winner by 857. So uh, we had four guesses for what to watch on TV. That's not the answer. Cleaning. Nope. Snoring. Nope. That's not the answer. We even had one person say do you, the argument is about sex. That's mm. not the answer. But Craig knew the answer. Hi, what's your name? Hello, you got the answer? No, we don't have the answer yet. What's your name? Uh, Craig, in-laws. Yes, it is the in-laws. All right. Do you have an argument about your the in-laws? Not really. Not really. So that means yes. No. I mean, yeah, of course, maybe we have disagreements, but nothing serious. Are you are you being diplomatic right now? No, 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 no. I try and get along with them. Yeah, sure, Craig. But hey, congratulations, Craig wins the passes. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.